Welcome. My name is Yvonne Benninger-Rothschild. I'm the Executive Director of the EICC New York. This podcast is brought to you by the European American Chamber of Commerce, a platform where Europeans and Americans connect to do business. To produce this series, we have asked our members from across Europe and the United States to discuss current events and how they may affect transatlantic business activities. In addition to this recording, I invite you to listen to all of our podcasts. You can find them on our website at eaccny.com right slash podcasts. I hope you will enjoy the insights our members together with my team have put together. And I encourage you to subscribe to the EACC podcast series on your favorite podcast server and to rate and share them with your friends and colleagues. Hi, my name is Pablo Fratini Melendez. I manage member engagement with the European American Chamber of Commerce in New York. And I'm also your host for this Brexit Musing series. In this episode, we will hear from tax experts from RSM based in the UK and also in the US. Their discussion will cover the latest position on the UK-EU negotiations ahead of the December 31st deadline and also explore some of the potential tax-related implications. So we're going to hear from Simon Hart, who is a lead international partner at RSM based in the UK, and he will moderate this discussion and he's joined by his colleagues. Dan Robertson, who's a partner, and Chris Gore, a director from both from RSM UK. And alongside them, we have Mark Strimber, who is an international tax principal and based in New York. So we're very excited and happy to have you all here with us. And with that, uh, we'll jump right into it. Simon, all yours. Hello, everyone. My name's Simon Hart. I'm lead international partner at RSM UK, and I'm also RSM UK's lead Brexit commentator for my sins and I've been observing and watching what's been going on with the whole Brexit issue for the last four years. I mean indeed who would have thought that Brexit would actually outlast Donald Trump but there we are at the moment. So where are we? Well there have been many deadlines in the Brexit negotiations and December the 12th, 13th, the weekend of the 12th, 13th was hailed as being decision day or deal day between the UK and Brussels. And here we are the week after and both sides have continued to agree to go the extra mile and continue the negotiations. So one has to ask how much of this is political theater and what do we expect? I suppose the only thing I would say right now is that the only deadline that we do know is still December the 31st. But what are the main issues that are vexing the negotiations at the moment. Well, I'm not going to talk about fishing and I'm not going to talk about the resolution process for disputes because that those are two areas that are vexing the process. But the one I do want to focus on is the level playing field provisions. Now, level playing field provisions are the big hold up at the moment and they come encompass three main things. Uh, the state aid provisions. So what is the protection for the EEA? to stop the UK government state aid supporting UK businesses, giving them an unfair advantage um, compared to those on, in the EU. The second point is environmental and regulatory rules to ensure that product and service flow is equal between both parties. And the third sticking point under level playing field is the whole issue of, of labor laws. And in particular, what's the EU concern over 
could the UK regress on various employment rights and rules? And I guess the question for me is which ones are, are vulnerable to change, if at all? Could there be changes to the anti-discrimination rules, to TUPE, which is the Transfer of Undertakings Perfection, Protection of Employment Regulations 2006, rules around agency workers, holiday and working time, EU directive, and free movement of people. And I guess with that last level playing field issue for me, it's probably worth me introducing Chris Gore, one of my colleagues from RSM UK, to uh, to actually talk about. Chris, do you think the um, do you think they'll we'll see a rollback of the of some of those labour law provisions post a deal? Do you do you think the holiday and working time directive will will be altered? Will the UK reduce the 48 hour working week or increase it? What do you think? I think it's still very difficult at the moment. There's obviously that intention immediately is to change nothing overnight and leave a lot as is. But then I think there's quite a lot of underlying expectation. There'll be some subtle changes in the background over a period of time, particularly in relation to the working time directives. I mean, when the posted worker directive came in, which was supposed to make everything a level playing field, the UK have already sort of backed away from that one but it is still going to keep them involved when they send employees into the EU so there's certain things that they're trying to back away from but once you sort of start sending employees back into the EU we will be bound by those rules. Okay Chris so I, mean, I should I should just say you're you're a, you're a director in our employee solutions team in in London so you're seeing this quite a lot I mean I suppose if if you were a US business with with some US citizens that are currently working and based in the in the UK what what might be the impact that they might see yeah and i think that's probably the the biggest issue or one of the biggest issues around the brexit it it is the right to work in the UK and we do see a lot of US citizens currently having the right to work in the UK by virtue of a dual citizenship or dual nationality and it's just making sure those guys who are on top of that because they will need to look into their pre-settled and settled status to make sure they do continue with the right to work in the UK. And then that will also be the same for other EU nationals actually working in the UK. And that's one of the biggest things at the moment. Uh, you mentioned settled and pre-settled status. Do you, can you just spend a moment just reminding us about where where we are with with the, the home office drive on, on settled and pre-settled status and what it is? So that's basically giving the EU citizens the right to remain in the UK where they're already here. There is a cutoff time of 11 o'clock on the 31st of December for them to be here and regularly here. And then they can follow what is known as the pre-settled or settled status, depending on how long they've been here for. So once they've been here for five years, they can then remain in the UK indefinitely. But it's just making sure those employees have actually started the process in time. Because although they've got until the 30th of June to actually make the application, there is some criteria that will need to be met. So it is worth having a talk to immigration people to make sure everything is in hand. And the other thing I've been picking up, Chris, is this whole issue around fly in, fly out provisions between the UK and the EU and whether if there is no deal, particularly in terms of the service sector, which is a big part of the UK economy, whether mode four of the World Trade Organization's uh, general agreement on trade and services kicks in in terms of how long could a business person travel into the EU to do a specific project? You know, is is that three months? Is it 183 days? I've heard about. Yeah. What, what what's what's your view on on that issue? 
And I think that will all depend on the nature of the activities being undertaken, because we are sort of starting to hear some rumblings coming from the EU about exactly what individuals might or might not be able to undertake. And every time I'm trying to get an answer from that in the EU at the moment, unfortunately, it's coming up to a we're still waiting to hear, which is unfortunately quite a common um, response at the moment on a number of matters where we're still waiting for final um, guidance to be issued on what the position will be. Um, but it will fundamentally rely on what the individual's doing and the country they're going to. Because quite often the, the rules, depending on the member state, will be different. Yeah, and that's a good point, actually. The rules between each of the 27 member states are different. You always think of it as a homogenised unit, but actually there are still national rules that need to be uh, reviewed and abided by. Um, OK, yeah, well, look, look, who knows where this week's negotiations uh, will take us? Maybe by the time we, we listen back to this recording, we'll know we'll know more. Dan, regardless of, of where the negotiations are, let, let's talk post-Brexit or post-31st of December, deal or, or indeed no trade deal. I mean, what might the UK government do on the corporate tax front? Because you're, you're one of my corporate tax partner colleagues in, in London. What, what might the UK government do on the tax front to keep the UK an attractive option for foreign direct investment, particularly from the US? Thanks, Simon. So absolutely right. So yeah, Dan Robertson, I'm a, I'm a corporate tax partner here in, in London, been working in tax for about for about 20 years with a, a lot of international experience. I think from my perspective, Simon, I, I don't think there will be a huge change, at least from a corporate income tax perspective, from a corporation tax perspective. I mean, the French have an expression, the more things change, the more they stay the same. I, I don't expect to see wholesale changes to the UK tax landscape post-Brexit. The UK clearly is an attractive jurisdiction in which to do business. You know, we're the fifth or sixth largest jurisdiction in the world. That that, that certainly won't change overnight. Um, and the UK over the last 10 years really has done, a, has done a lot to make it an attractive jurisdiction in which to invest, in which to, to hold European investments. We have a low corporate tax rate. We have a dividend exemption. We have a gains exemption. We have no dividend withholding tax on, on outbounds. And those things aren't going to change dramatically overnight. There's, there's going to remain a lot of good reasons to, to stay in the UK. Where I think we, we will see changes, or, or in all likelihood we'll see changes, is around the inability to access certain directives following us leaving the EU. The parent subsidiary directive, which allows for zero withholdings across, across Europe uh, on dividends. The interest and royalty directive, which which allows the same for, for interest flows and royalty flows, at least in connected company situations. So we'll lose the ability to rely on, on those. But it's fair to say that the UK has the widest treaty network in the world. And, and in all likelihood, we'll, we will fall back on on those treaties. So I don't think there's going to be a, a huge shift in the UK's position. I think it is fair to say that whenever a US organisation is looking at investing in Europe, you know, making those right decisions can be based on different balances of factors. And there will be a change there. So we may see at the moment the treaty between the UK and Germany is less beneficial than the, than the, current, the current treaties. And the same applies in one or two other places as well. So it will be important to revisit the structure. But personally, as an advisor, I would be surprised if the corporate tax landscape changed dramatically post-Brexit to the point that a business would, would behave in a very different way. You know, the core advantages of the UK, as I've mentioned, as a, as a large jurisdiction, access to capital, access to a large market jurisdiction will, will, stay in, will stay in place. So although it's difficult to predict what will happen, and of course, in the long term, we, we really can't say, 
I don't see a massive change from certainly from the first of January and and, and probably over the over the medium term. But it's interesting. That's a really interesting point, Dan, because um, one of the one of the benefits of being in the the EU club for the UK is passporting, in that you don't need to effectively have a branch or a subsidiary in in any of the other jurisdictions in order to trade there. We're we're potentially going to to be losing that. So do you not see the need for some group restructuring changes in the event of no deal? Maybe. It's possible, but I would have thought it would be the exception rather than the rule. Um, I mean, over the last few years, we have seen businesses preparing for Brexit and in some cases opening new new subsidiaries in European jurisdictions so they've got access to the European market. For the most part, those haven't been driven by tax. They've been driven by regulatory reasons. So I have a number of clients that work in the financial services space. And in, in those situations, it isn't going to be possible for them to carry on doing the, the business in the same way. And therefore, they've needed to, to set up shop elsewhere in one of those kind of key, key European jurisdictions. Uh, so, so I'm not saying it's impossible that there would be a need to restructure post 1st of January and, and always take advice, clearly. But I don't see wholesale changes. I don't see significant changes that are really going to undermine existing structures. Of course, talk to your advisors. But for the most part, the things that are core to a business decision will relate to the other issues, not just around treaties and so on. It does happen, but it's not the rule. Yeah, that's the, the key point you've made about take sound advice, because depending on what happens in terms of exposure to any any tariff issues that may come about, delays in terms of the movement of goods, the processing of goods, there's been discussions around free ports in the UK, the impact of all of that needs to be considered on a case-by-case basis. So, so I think I completely agree, Simon, and I think that the movement of goods is probably a more challenging area. Certainly most of my clients' financial services or technology businesses that aren't moving goods around, I think we may see some significant changes around you know, losing the, the access to the single market and so on and customs complications. But the, the, the core system, as I've said, I don't think will, will change dramatically. I mean, I suppose it is fair to point out that there are holding company jurisdictions across Europe that businesses do use and there are advantages of doing so. Uh, so the Netherlands, Luxembourg, Ireland will be traditional holding company territories that many the US businesses will be familiar with. They may well have advantages going forward, but but the UK's big advantage is still going to be the fact that we're a, a very, very large jurisdiction, whereas those others are, are much smaller and therefore potentially th- th- there are more challenges of doing business in, in those places, whereas UK-US relationships are obviously culturally very familiar. You know, we've got, we've got shared history over centuries. So those things I don't think are going to change in the short term. Well, talking about UK-US relations, we've been listening to, to lots of British accents for the last uh, few minutes. Uh, let's bring in Mark Strimber. Mark is International Tax Principal at RSM US, based in New York City. Hello, Mark. How are you? Hi, Simon. Uh, so, look, what's, what's, what's your angle? You're, you're speaking to clients uh, all the time regarding their overseas operations and their, their tax structuring. Are there any common themes right now with the with the theatre and the play of the the Brexit trade negotiations moving forward, moving back a foot, moving forward a foot? What are are your clients saying to you? Yeah, thanks, Simon. Uh, As you mentioned, uh, I'm Mark Strimber. I'm a tax principal with RSM US. And there's probably, I'd say, two pieces to the discussion we're seeing and having with clients. One is for existing structures and operations as to whether our clients are looking to restructure their UK business or UK presence in light of what's developed with regard to Brexit. And the other piece is 
a client that's looking to perhaps make its first introduction into the European Union and doing business in that region as to whether they would choose the UK as a springboard into that region. On the first instance, our clients are thinking about restructuring, but typically because of, for example, things from a tax perspective like the income tax treaty that the US-UK has, which is fully developed and provides a lot of benefits, uh, other tax treaties that the UK has with other European countries, the discussions generally are more focused on business and, and not tax as they typically would be with our clients. And from a business perspective, our clients are saying, we have a good presence. We know the market. The UK has been a place we've done business for a long time. And they're not necessarily shying away from continuing operating in the UK because of, of Brexit. The one nuance perhaps to that is what system changes our clients might have to make because of something like VAT, which could change as a result and what that means from their their systems, but their business seems to be something that they want to maintain and continue in the UK. The other piece of the discussion uh, evolves around when our clients are looking perhaps to springboard and, and enter that region and that market and whether the UK is the right jurisdiction. Uh, a lot of US multinational companies set up uh, holding company structures. They're a little bit less common perhaps as a result of many U.S. tax law changes, but certainly clients have and continue to set up holding company structures and whether the U.K. is the optimal place to set up as a holding company structure uh, is something that our clients are thinking about um, in a little bit more detail because, for example, as Dan mentioned, the EU directive and the EU subsidiary directive, which may allow for a more free movement of funds between European entities up to the UK, if the UK was the holding company, may not be as easy and as efficient post-Brexit uh, and, and what that ends up being, although the UK is still a fine jurisdiction to repatriate cash out of back to the US. So it's still in the mix of discussions, but it always comes up now as to whether the UK is really as a quicker choice as it has been in the last few years because of uh, these developments. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting, Mark, because I suppose the other aspect that plays into all of that is is what is going to be the the speed of progress or not bet between the, the new US administration and the and Downing Street with, with regards to a US-UK trade deal and what that might mean for that type of decision-making for U.S. businesses. Yeah, that, that's certainly something I think that, that our clients are going to look at. There, there is, uh, I don't want to get the political in, in, in this discussion, of course, but from a free trade perspective and looking you know, more specifically at, at the tax, there is certainly over many years a lot of comfort in how the U.S. and U.K. interact from a tax perspective and people feel comfortable that that could certainly continue regardless of you know what what tax law changes we've seen in the US and what we might continue to see and even some clawback of certain provisions that were recently enacted and even benefits for US companies that wouldn't necessarily impact how the US looks to invest and to use the UK as a place of business and a case for allowing for tax efficient structures 
thanks. Thanks very much, Mark. Look, we're, we're almost out of time. So I just wanted to wrap up with asking you all one specific question. Yeah, what what is the you know in your own sphere what what is the what is your own biggest area of concern that you think the audience should be looking at and considering right now dan what, what what's your biggest area of concern so i think it i think it's the, the treaty point I, I think it is in the detail i don't th- I, I completely agree with what mark's saying that you know businesses will need to think about it and we'll need to think about what changes so from a corporate income tax perspective it, it, it is those treaties. I don't see any significant changes really, really beyond that. On the slightly broader taxes, you know, things like VAT, movement of goods. If people are moving goods around Europe and the UK is leaving the single market, then that's then that's that, that's a, that's a much more important issue, I think, to grasp with from a from a corporate tax perspective. I think I think the treaties is is a thing to focus on. Yeah, and it's a big enough issue as itself. Chris, what's your big area of concern? For me, it's probably going to be the right to work. And that's for longer term and for short term business visitors, just to make sure people are allowed to do the activities they want to do in the relevant jurisdictions. And I suppose the other thing with the right to work, Chris, is is also the impact of, of COVID, which is a topic in itself in terms of people that may have gone back to another jurisdiction during lockdown restrictions and just making sure they don't fall foul of any employment taxes as a result. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a sorry on that one. There's a high risk of individuals getting caught out for the right to work by being caught overseas as a result of COVID as well. If they were intending coming back to the UK from the EU, for example, once the offices reopen, so that is something else to bear in mind. Thanks, Chris and Mark. Final word to you. What's your biggest area of concern? I think uncertainty uh, thus far has been a big point of uh, contention with with folks as to okay, we don't we don't know and people don't want to make a rash decision to enter or not to enter the UK. Uh, so that, that, that's something that even from an advisor's perspective, we want to try to stay in front of and, and help and advise our clients that that becomes a little bit tricky. Um, I'd say, uh, you know, I agree with Dan on the treaty piece of it and free flow of, of goods. Um, but, but ultimately I think probably practical implementation would be a concern as to where this all ends up and what type of changes companies have to make from oper- from an operational or systems perspective, I think is going to be a little bit challenging. Thanks, Mark. You stole my thunder by saying uncertainty because that was uh, that was going to be my my final concern is that we don't actually have any any certainty by the end of uh, end of the end of the month. But uh, we'll see how it goes. Well, look, time's up. That's been our Brexit musings from RSM UK and RSM US. And we hope you enjoyed this podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Simon. And another thank you to your colleagues, Dan Robertson, Chris Gore, and Mark Schrimber from RSM. And we really appreciate your thoughts and insights. And another thank you to our audience. We hope that you enjoyed listening to our podcast. And stay tuned for our next episode where we muse about Brexit. Take care. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from the European American Chamber of Commerce, New York. Please remember to subscribe and rate this episode and be sure to check out the complete list of recordings on our website at eaccny.com right smash podcasts. If you have any thoughts or comments about this series, we would love to hear from you. Feel free to reach out to us at membership at eaccny.com to learn more about our work, how to get involved and how to join our transatlantic network.